presented by Facebook. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raghu Munavalan. It's Tuesday. It's primary day. In New York and Florida, we'll tell you what you need to know. It's your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. We're 11 weeks out from Election Day 2022, and today, some of the year's most consequential and highly anticipated primary battles will be decided tonight in two of the largest states in the country, New York and Florida. Politico's Florida Playbook author, Gary Finout, is here to break down those races in Florida. Gary, how's it going? How are you doing? Just waiting for the end. There you go. 24-ish hours. So things people might need to know up front. Florida has a closed primary. You have to be a registered member of a party to vote in their primary. And the political demographics have shifted a bit for the first time in modern history. There are more registered Republicans than Democrats in the state. Uh, So let's start with what's maybe the most interesting race in Florida, the Democratic gubernatorial primary. The key players here, Nikki Freed, uh, Florida's commissioner of agriculture, is up against Representative Charlie Crist, the former Republican governor of Florida, turned independent, turned Democrat. Uh, I think in primaries, it's easy to say one candidate's the moderate, one candidate is catnip for the base. But you're telling me earlier, it's not so easy in this race. Uh, No, it's not. I'm you know, Nikki Freed has tried to make uh, Charlie Crist's pass as a Republican a key point of her platform. She's really gone after him because there were there have been moments in the past where he's described himself as pro-life. He appointed some conservative judges when he was governor. Uh, but he has said, look, uh, I'm solidly a Democrat now. And uh, he's got a 100% ranking from certain uh, abortion rights groups. Hmm. So he's really tried to push back against that narrative. But she's suggested that he... Uh, that he may not be the true Democrat, you know, regarding both abortion rights and regarding gun control. But the thing is, is that uh, there have been progressives, there have been environmental groups, uh, there have been uh, uh, black faith groups, there have been a long line of people who have lined up behind Christ in this Mm. latest effort. Because he ran, he did run as a Democrat for governor back in 2014, and he narrowly lost to Rick Scott. Mm -hmm. So it seems like even despite those attacks about abortion, things like that, it's not really resonating. Well, we don't know. We we don't know if it's going to We won't know until we know. Yeah, Yeah. she's been really trying really hard to hit home this message uh, over the last few weeks. And she's taken out ads where she's kind of brought it up. He has kind of fired back at her with his own negative ads against her, Mm -hmm. pointing out that just a few years ago, she gave money to the Republican attorney general and that she campaigned with some Republicans when she was a lobbyist. So he's tried to sort of fire back and and not be completely above the fray. But I mean, yeah, this is going to be a big litmus test. Is is the issue of abortion rights and what happened with Roe v. Wade, is it a motivating factor that enough people come to the polls and they vote for Nikki Freed? And, you know, the thing is, if she wins, it will be considered an upset, but Mm -hmm. it also will create uh, quite a contrast between her and the incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis. Yeah, speaking of um, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, he's already amassed quite the war chest ahead of the general in November. There's also an unusual test for a governor, I think, of uh, DeSantis's uh, stature on the ballot. He's oddly endorsed and campaigned for a bunch of candidates in local school board elections. Uh, how's that looking? Yes. And in fact, it's interesting is he sort of I don't know if it's completely designed this way, but he has taken some attention away from the two Democrats as they hmm. close on the primary. But yeah, he was out all day Sunday campaigning for his school board candidates that he's endorsed. He's endorsed Mm. a total of 30, which is highly unusual. Normally the governor doesn't get involved in these kinds of local races, or at least to this level, but he's not only endorsed them, he's now he's campaigned for them and money has flowed to these candidates from both DeSantis and other top Republicans. 
and and this is kind of like he is putting his stamp on on the school boards because what's interesting to note is that school boards across the state have kind of formed pockets of resistance to DeSantis over the last couple of years. They, mm-hmm. uh, uh, several districts were opposed to some of his policies related to COVID, and they haven't been completely keen with some of his other changes that he's pushed through involving critical race theory and things, other things uh, regarding instruction. So the fact that he decided to make this a focal point not only is unusual from the standpoint of a governor getting involved in local race, but also interesting from the point of view is he's building allies at the local level mm-hmm. to help him carry out his education policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so fascinating to me. Governor Ron DeSantis is someone that's been spoken about as a potential candidate in the 2024 presidential election. And it's just like his, he's almost campaigning via these small, I mean, frankly, for a governor of his stature, small potatoes, local school board races in order to anticipate using them in the national election, it seems like. And, and what's also noteworthy is he hasn't really weighed in on any congressional primaries. And we have a mm. lot of congressional primaries going on in Florida, uh, some of which the Republican will wind up going to Congress. He mm-hmm. stayed above the fray of those races, but chose to get involved in these school board races. He did weigh in on a handful of legislative races. And in fact, uh, he kind of cleared the way where it looked like there were some other Republicans who were going to get, who were going to run for these spots and primarily in the state Senate. Uh, he also weighed in uh, in a state house race in a big way where mm. the person who was running was didn't hardly have any money and was seen as sort of the you know the last of the person in uh, in a three-person race but then about three weeks ago he endorsed her he started he gave her money and now we're kind of we're going to see well uh can he turn around somebody's fortune in just a matter of weeks uh, so let's look at um, one toss-up district, the Florida 7th. Uh, this is currently the district of centrist Democrat Stephanie Murphy. She announced she'll not be seeking re-election. Uh, it's not always the case, but I feel like when someone retires, that usually portends a flipped seat. So what's going on with the GOP primary here? Well, what's interesting is that Murphy announced that she wasn't going to run back in December. I-, I mean, there was a thought that her district was going to be altered. and uh, <laughs> But she, she kind of got out in front and said, well, I'm not going to run. And so they went ahead and altered it. And then sort of the backstory on redistricting here in Florida is the Florida legislature actually passed a plan that would have taken the uh, congressional delegation and probably given Florida one more Republican seat. And, and the thing is that Florida picked up a seat during reapportionment. So they, we, Florida's now going to have 28 seats. The legislature passed a plan that was probably going to make it 17, uh, 1711 Republicans. Governor DeSantis vetoed it. And said he wasn't satisfied and, and did not agree with the logic and, and legal re- reasoning that the, the legislature, the Republican legislature, used. So he then submitted his own map and they passed it. That map is probably going to result in a 28 split between Republicans and Democrats, mm-hmm. which would be a net of four over what they have now. And and that and that has triggered a whole bunch of races, really competitive, really nasty races i mean there's Mm -hmm. like i mean flyers going around and mailers and ads and everything like everything from oh this candidate was associating with a pedophile to in another race or something about whether or not this person is a a secretly uh loves obama i mean it's just it's been all over the map but that's because of the high stakes here because these these republicans who are running know if they win the primary on tuesday they're going to congress Stephanie Murphy's district, Florida 7th, 
is one of those races that has a big crowd of Republicans. Uh, they include State Representative Anthony Sabatini, who basically clashed with leadership of the Florida House. Sabatini basically has, has often would declare the leaders of the Florida House as rhinos and that they weren't conservative enough for him. Now, I mind you, this is the same Florida House that passed the Parental Rights and Education Bill, also hmm. known as the Don't Say Gay Bill by its critics. Uh, they passed a bill dealing with critical race theory. They passed a crackdown on big tech. And what's in an interesting twist, Sabatini also voted against the budget that they wound up sending to the governor. And his one of his rivals flipped that and said, well, Sabatini's not endorsing, he's not supporting the governor's budget priorities, including money that DeSantis wanted to crack down on immigration. And so it's kind of very interesting to see that his argument is, is that the, the House was too liberal, and then he had it used against him as, well, you're not supporting DeSantis' agenda. Hmm. The other, there's, there's two other candidates to watch in that race. One is uh, Corey Mills. He's a defense contractor. And another one is Brady Duke, a former Navy SEAL sniper. All of these candidates are extremely conservative in, in their viewpoint. There, there, there is no doubt that they will be strong MAGA allies. But it's been interesting is that in the lead up to the primary, they have just been ripping into each other day mm. and night. How does it look on the Democratic side? I assume not as spicy from what I can tell. There's some candidates running on the Democratic side, but I've talked to analysts and people who follow this and they just they just don't really see any likelihood that that's, that seat will remain in the hands of Democrats. Now, what I would say is there is a Democratic race that has has a great deal of intrigue, and that's a race that's that's. That is the seat now held by Val Demings. That's uh, District 10. Val Demings is running against uh, Marco Rubio, so she's giving up her seat. This sparked another free-for-all, but on the Democratic side. And there's some interesting names, some familiar names from way back that people may know. Uh, representative, uh, former Representative Corinne Brown and former Representative Alan Grayson, as in Alan Grayson, the who had the, the viral when before, I guess they called them viral moments. He had the moment when he said uh, the Republican health care is uh, don't get sick. And if you do get sick, die. Grayson has a shot of getting back to Congress only because it's this split race. Now, it looks like the favorite is a guy by the name of Maxwell Alejandro Frost. What's interesting there is he's only 25. He's a Gen Z activist. He's gotten a lot of progressive support. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders. So we could have quite the interesting night depending on who winds up winning that race. And again, it, that like Biden won that district by 32 points. So whoever wins the democratic primary is pretty much sure to go into Congress. Gary, find out Florida playbook out there. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Exactly how many classified documents did former President Donald Trump have at Mar-a-Lago? Within the past 24 hours, the reported scope of the hall has ballooned. On Monday evening, Maggie Haberman, Jody Cantor, Adam Goldman, and Ben Protest from the New York Times reported that Trump, quote, had more than 300 classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Spanning the files the National Archives got in January, those that DOJ obtained in June, and those seized in the Mar-a-Lago FBI search this month. The initial batch retrieved by the archives included more than 150 classified files, which set off alarm bells at the Justice Department and triggered the series of events that led us here. Earlier this morning, Politico's Cal Cheney reports that, quote, 
the National Archives found more than 700 pages of classified material, including what are called special access program materials, some of the most highly classified secrets in government, and 15 boxes recovered from Mar-a-Lago back in January. That's according to correspondence between the National Archivist and his legal team. The former president requested a special master to be appointed to go through the documents the FBI seized and screen for material protected by executive privilege, per Politico's Josh Gerstein and Kyle Cheney. The filing quote also confirmed aspects of the timeline related to the Mar-a-Lago search, including the fact that the Justice Department issued two subpoenas prior to the search. Trump's demand will go to either Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt or District Court Judge Eileen Cannon, a Trump appointee. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. Another light day. The president has nothing on his public schedule. The vice president has nothing on her public schedule. The House and the Senate are out today. All right, for more news and what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Rogu Munavalin. Have a good Tuesday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. Facebook is building tools to enhance safety and security. Over 40 million people are using Facebook's privacy checkup each month. That's nearly 60 times the population of Washington, D.C. Learn more about the work ahead at facebook.com forward slash action.